fine. Thanks for asking, Brian. So I, um, I actually just saw these windows for the first time when I walked in this morning. And Melanie usually asks me, hey, what's the best part of your week? What's the lowest point of your week? What brings you joy? What makes you, you know, those kind of like reflective questions. And usually when she asks me that question, I realize that I don't have a really quick answer for what has brought me joy. I think that means maybe I need to pay more attention to the good things that happen. And so, more than anything else, this has nothing to do with my sermon whatsoever. But I just wanted to encourage you to look out for those things that could bring you joy if you would let them. Um, because they have a tendency to slip by. And then I notice things like, I can see the rain outside. I don't know about you, but I love rain. I love that it makes things grow and it makes things clean and it maybe even hopefully will make things less humid. And that just can bring me joy this morning if I let it. And so I just wanted to invite each of you to just find things that God has given us. Find those little moments of grace and collect them, keep them, remember them. But this morning, I, I wanted to talk more about um, this group of two friends in particular. There are a lot of really good things that start with a couple friends that get together and say, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? You know, whether it's Bill Gates and a few friends whose names we never remember, who got together in his garage and decided to start a software company. And so now we have this multinational broken up by antitrust laws a couple times corporation called Microsoft because a few friends got together and said, hey, let's do a thing together. And I don't know, I actually kind of want to know if anyone is aware of this because I didn't know for the longest time that these two authors were actually friends and actually knew each other. Because I guarantee you, you've at least heard of all of their books before. But can anyone name the two authors that knew each other, that hung out together in early 20th century England? And they actually were in a writing club together. And if you know who I'm talking about, you'll kind of get it. But just guess for me. Like, give me one of them even. Like, what, what's some of the most famous British authors of the early 20th century that you can think of? Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens. Excellent author. Not the one I'm thinking of. C.S. Lewis is one of them. Can, you, can anyone guess who C.S. Lewis was actually friends with? Tolkien. J.R.R. Tolkien, the guy who wrote Lord of the Rings, and C.S. Lewis were like in a writing club together. So like the Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity, the five, the faces of God, like these, all of these like great works of theology that Lewis wrote and then also you've got Tolkien on the side working on Elvish languages and Lord of the Rings, right? And so it was fascinating to me because I got thinking about like how these guys write in totally different ways, right? Like C.S. Lewis, like he, he came up with the story he wanted to tell. He wanted to find a way of telling the story of God and creation and redemption as if it happened in Narnia and not in England, and so he had allegory, right? You know, instead of the, the picture of Jesus, you have Aslan. 
Instead of the early prophets and the people who come that God raises up, you have the Pevensey children that come from England and find themselves in Narnia through a wardrobe, right? And so you have all these allegories where you look at this and then you look at C.S. Lewis's book and you're like, oh, I see what you're doing there. I see how this works. Aslan sacrificed himself to save the traitors, to save the ones who were slaves to the white wit. I, I see what you're doing there, C.S. Lewis. I get it. But then you go and you read through Tolkien. You read through The Lord of the Rings, and you have magic rings and elves and little short hobbits. And you, know, and you, you find yourself almost trying to play the C.S. Lewis game, right? You have Gandalf, who, spoiler alert if you've never read it, at one point he dies and then he comes back. And so you're like, oh, maybe Gandalf is supposed to be Jesus. But then, like, you start reading the rest of the story, you're like, well, that doesn't fit at all. And then you're thinking, okay, well, maybe, maybe Frodo and his struggle is supposed to be a metaphor for the Christian journey. And then at the very end, Frodo completely fails, and it's a total accident that everything turns out okay. And so you're like, okay, well, that, that's, that's probably not what he meant either. And so, like, there's no real neat way that the allegory fits. Right? You can't say, well, this character is this, this character is this. It just doesn't work that way with Lord of the Rings. And so I find myself reading scripture the same way sometimes, right? Like I read it as if somebody wrote it in the style of C.S. Lewis, where Jesus tells a parable, right? He says, hey, look, imagine one of you is a shepherd and you lose a sheep. Which one of you wouldn't leave the 99 sheep that you've got in the wilderness, leave them in the safe spot, and then go find the one that's lost? You know, our first instinct when we read that is to go, okay, all right, so who's the shepherd? Maybe the shepherd is Jesus. Jesus is the shepherd. Yeah, that sounds right. And then there are 99 sheep that are saved, and there's one that's lost. Okay, so am I the lost sheep? Am I one of the 99 because I'm in church on Sunday and I've got it all together? Am I one of the people that gets invited to the party afterward? Yeah, and we find ourselves trying to figure out, like, okay, which one am I? As if we were only one of them. Right? Or imagine, you know, you've you got uh, some coins, right? And you lose one. So you know there's some money hidden in your house somewhere. And so you go on a cleaning spree because you've got to find the cash, right? You're not just going to forget about it. You're not just going to write it off. You need to find what was lost. And so you clean the whole house. And then when you find it, you're so stoked about it. You call your neighbors and you spend the money you found throwing a party to celebrate finding the money you lost. Right? It's okay, so you think, okay, well maybe when we find things in Jesus and you find yourself playing the game and trying to make everything fit just right. I don't think that's what's going on. I think Jesus' parables are a lot more like Tolkien than they are Narnia. I think that they're told for the general story, right? Because Tolkien and Lewis, they were both Christians. They both wrote stories as Christians. They both believed in the utter reality of Jesus and redemption and creation and a God who loves and the victory of good over evil in the end. Those things are all laced in throughout both of those series of books. But the way they did it was very different. Lewis wrote reality by a different name. Tolkien said, what would happen if the same deep truths 
of God were in a totally different place and acted out in a totally new way. I think that's what Jesus' parables are trying to do for us. Because you see, the setting wasn't that Jesus wanted to tell us how important lost people were. Because I've heard sermons before where I go through and they say, okay, look, here's the deal. Y'all are the 99, and God is happy that you're here. But there's the one lost sheep out there, and we got to go find him. So let's all go find the one lost sheep, because it's up to us to go do that, because that's what the shepherd wants. That's what Jesus wants us to do, is to go find the lost sheep. And, you know, and that sermon has an advantage of being mostly true. God absolutely wants us to go and find and help the lost people. I think that's at all what Jesus was saying, though. Because you got to ask, like, okay, what is it that Jesus was responding to? Right? So, does anyone still have Luke open? What made Jesus tell the parable? He was hanging out with sinners. Jesus was hanging out with sinners. And then the Pharisees started doing what? They started grumbling. Started complaining. Who is this Jesus guy? Hanging out with people who they've probably done bad things. How dare he? Right? And so Jesus is spending too much time with tax collectors and sinners. He's spending too much time with the people who just don't belong in the nice clean confines of a temple on Sunday or Sabbath morning. Right? And so Jesus, in response to that, tells this story. He's like, hey, imagine one of you guys has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost. Wouldn't you go find the lost one? Or are you just going to write it off? Like, how awful of a shepherd would you be if you had 100 sheep and one of them wanders off and you're like, ah, it's fine. No worries. It's only one sheep. Because the shepherd who lets one wander off pretty soon has 98, 97, 96. 50, and none left at all. It's a shepherd's job to go find the lost one. Which of you, if you had a lost one, wouldn't go find the lost sheep? What do you think I'm doing here? I'm finding the lost sheep. How dare you draw the boundaries of the sheep pen so narrowly that only you belong anymore? Of course they're my sheep. I'm coming to find them. I'm the good shepherd. Stop, stay out of my lane. I know what I'm doing. So here's the good news. Have you ever felt lost? Have you ever felt like, well, I, if I were hanging out with Jesus, the Pharisees might complain that Jesus was talking to me. Maybe, you know, maybe you went to the bar one too many times when you were younger. Maybe you went to the bar one too many times last week. Maybe you don't need to go to the bar because you've got it at home. Maybe you treat your coworkers the way you would never want to be treated. Maybe you treat your family the way you don't want to be treated. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But the point is, have you ever felt lost? Because if so, this parable is good news. Because this parable tells us that Jesus, in defense of himself, when people are grumbling about how much time Jesus spent with the lost people, 
Jesus is like, of course I'm here. This is my job. This is what I'm here to do. This is who I am, is that I'm here to find the people who are lost and bring them back. And then both of those stories end with, hey, whether I lost a coin, whether I lost a sheep, whether I lost a person, whether I lost whoever, whatever it is, when you find them again, what do you do? You throw a party. Of course you do. There was a time I was a little kid, right? And I I had like, you know, I I had these Transformer toys that my grandpa bought me because that's what my grandpa does, right? He bought me stuff. I I have a boomerang from Canada that my grandpa bought me. Like, I have no idea that Canada made boomerangs, but I have a Canadian boomerang, right? That's my thing. Um, So he got me these Transformer toys and I took them to church because that's what kids do. They bring toys to church. And I'm sitting on this staircase and I drop it underneath the staircase. And of course, you know, I do what any good person would do. If you lose something, you go looking for it. Right? And this story ends horribly because I never found it. I, not, I never got to throw the party. But that's what you do when you lose something. You go looking for it. And if you are God's, he comes looking for you. And the good news is, every single one of you and every single one of the people who aren't here, and every single person who ever lived or ever will live or is alive right now, they are gods. And if they ever feel lost, the shepherd is coming to look for them. The woman is sweeping the house and turning it upside down to find them. And when we allow ourselves to be found, because it's not something we do, Sheep are dumb. They will literally lie down in the middle of the wilderness and just wait to be found. They don't find their way home. They have to be sought out, right? They're probably not much easier to find than a gold coin in the corner of a room because a gold coin just sits there. But I don't think I'm stressing too much to say, hey, if you ever feel lost, it's okay to just stop moving. Take a breath. Sit down. And say, okay, God, I'm here. I'm ready to be found. And when he comes for you, as he always will, then we get to throw a party. Because you felt lost. And now you're found. Of course we throw a party. And so a lot of times I talk about this table in terms of repentance, in terms of turning away and, and doing something new or doing something better or good. Today, maybe we've come to the table in acknowledgement that we can just come and we can take a bit of bread, dip it in a cup, and then say, God, I am lost. Come find me.